Chalaperik Aleph, Mishnah Gimel, 1-3. The previous two Mishnayas had established that the obligation to take challah from dough only applies to dough made of flour from the five grains, wheat, spelt, oats, barley, and rye. And the last words of the previous Mishnah were, v'chayavin b'challah uvamaisras, that that produce from those five grains are obligated in uh, challah, but also that they're subject to the requirements of maestros, meaning taking trumas of maestros. Referring to the uh, the four steps, the four tithes that are taken from all, essentially all produce in Eretz Yisrael, that is truma gadola to kohanim, uh, then maestro rishon to levi, then trumas maestro from the levi to the kohen, and finally uh, maestro sheni or maestro ani, depending on which we were, you're talking about. Okay, but the point of the last part of the mission was in general, those five grains are subject to both chala and maestras requirements. Now here in Mishnah Gimel we say, Certain exceptions that we have grain which if made into flour will be subject to the chala requirements, but the grain itself was exempt from maestras, again meaning all four of those things, trumas and maestras. Um, and then Mishnah Dodd will say examples the other way around, things that are obligated in maestras but exempt from chala. Okay, it's here, Mishnah Gimel, Elu Chayavn Bechala. The following um, scenarios are such that if one made a requisite amount of uh, flour, dough from such flour, there would be a chala obligation, but nevertheless, the grain itself is, is patur mina maestris, is exempt from trumas maestris, again, truma gadola, maestra rishon, trumas maestra, and maestra sheni or maestra ani. So the first three on the list, haleket v'hashicha v'hapeya, these are the gifts that are left for the poor um, from fields where grain is growing. Like it are stalks that fall, one or two stalks that fall as one is harvesting handfuls of stalks. So if one or two fall, you have to leave it as leket for the poor to collect those stalks. Hashicha is the forgotten little bundles, um, the sheaves that are made as one harvests. So one will essentially leave sheaves in the field, and then at the end of that process, one will collect the sheaves and bring them to the threshing floor. Um, any bundles, sheaves that are overlooked, when one brings in the sheaves to the threshing floor, those are shechra and may not be gone back for. Uh, one may not go back for them. He has to leave them for the poor. And finally, vahapeya, that is the corner of one's field, which Midrabun is the 60th of one's field, at least, uh, that one leaves for the poor to come harvest themselves. So those three are applicable to all uh, grain fields, and as we'll see in a second, they're exempt from the maestros requirements. Um, but just let me add one more item to the list, which is the hefker, also hefker, that is to say, uh, grain that is ownerless. Ownerless grain, provided it's ownerless at the time that it uh, is subject to the tithing requirement, let's say kamar malacha, at that point, if it's ownerless, so it's also exempt from Again, the cases, for example, some wild wheat growing in the field somewhere that doesn't own, belong to anybody. So if one harvests that wheat from the wild, um, it will be exempt from trumas and maestras uh, as long as it was hefker at some point prior to um, reaching the stage of gemar malacha. So these four on the list are all exempt from maestras for the same reason, and that is that the Torah basically says, since the Levi, Shevet Levi and the Kohanim, who are members of Levi, 
um, were never given land, agricultural land in Eretz Yisrael, really. So um, the Pasuk says, Levi, the Levi will come to collect. Ki ein lo imach. He, the Levi, doesn't have a portion of agricultural land, um, or land at all, really, minus those cities, uh, unlike the rest of Kalal Yisrael. So we sort of have a compensation where the Levi is doing service of Kalal Yisrael, he doesn't have land, but we will then give him Trumas and Maestras. So the Drasha then comes to say that where he is on equal footing with you, meaning, for example, ownerless property, he has no more or less access to ownerless property than any other Sheva does, so he has no special um, entitlement to Trumas and Maestras. So that being the case, since any poor Levi is just as welcome and able to access the Leket Shech and Peya or Hefker, ownerless uh, grain, as a non-Levi. There's no reason that the Torah exempts him, uh, the, that produce, from being subject to the Meister's requirements. Okay? Notwithstanding, if one acquires such grain, takes possession of it, and it's no longer ownerless, etc., at the time one makes it into dough, so then it says, Ariso Seichem, it's got anything from your um, kneading bowl is subject to Chala, says the Pasuk. Um, the Jerusha actually technically is, it says, when you eat from the bread of the land, um, the Jerusha is, whatever bread it happens to be, even if it came from Hefker, it doesn't matter. Again, provided that at the time one needs this uh, flour into with water into dough, it uh, stopped being onerless and now someone has taken possession from it. So again, these are examples, those four where they're exempt from Trumas and Maestras, but obligated in Chala. More on the list is Umaisa Rishon Shnitla Trumaso. If you have Maisa Rishon, which had its Truma taken from it, it will be exempt from Trumas and Maestras, but obligated in Maisa, excuse me, in Chala. So the case here, and this actually might confound you at first because you think, wait a second, this is Maisa Rishon, so it's been, the Maisa has been taken from it because this is the Maisa. And it explicitly says, Shnitla Trumaso, its Truma has been taken also, so what's the exemption of not having to give Truma? So the answer is, this is a case where the levy went to the farmer when the grain was still stalked prior to the processing of the grain. So you've kind of cut the line going in front of the cone. And he says to the farmer, I will take those stalks as they are um, now, since I'm here. And the farmer gives it to levy. In such a case, since there was never a processing of that grain before the levy took possession, the grain will never be subject to the requirements of Truma Gadola, the gift to the Kohen, the primary gift to the Kohen. Of course, the Levi who takes it as Meister Rishon, and he takes 10% of all that grain, he keeps it. He must still give 10% of his 10% as Trumas Meister back to a Kohen, and that's what we're referring, referring to here when it says, Shenitla Trumaso, it had its Truma taken from it. The Truma we're talking about is Trumas Meister, the gift from the Levi to the Kohen. But the point of the mission here, putting this on the list of items that are exempt from Maestras but subject to Chala, is that one need not take Truma Gadola from such grain, since the Levi took possession prior to it being subject to the requirements of Truma Gadola, and there's no need to go back. So it's exempt from Truma Gadola, and yet um, if one takes this grain and makes it into flour and, and then dough, the dough is subject to the regular requirements of challah. Next on the list, two more items, Umaiser Sheni 
and the hektesh, also hektesh, shenniftu, if they've been redeemed. So each one in its own time. First, Meister Shani that was redeemed. The case you'll call Meister Shani is the second tithe, which is given in years one, two, four, and five of the seven-year Shemitah cycle. Um, so after Truma Gadola and Meister Rishon was taken, um, then a person will take in those years one, two, four, five, he'll take Meister Shani, a second tithe, 10% of what remains after the Kohen and Levi got their portions. And that 10%, the Meister Shani, um, is to be taken to Shalim and consumed over there. Now, one has the option, if he so chooses, to redeem the Meister Shani foodstuffs onto coins, deconsecrating the Meister Rishon um, and making it just regular food. So our Mishnah's case is Meister Shani, food that had originally been consecrated with the sanctity of Meister Shani, um, but then it was nift, and that would be have to be eaten in Yerushalayim. Um, but if it is de-consecrated, it has pigeon happen to it, so then um, now it no longer, it's not subject to the Truma and Meister obligations, but when one makes into dough, since it's private property at that point, he must take challah. If it hadn't had pidyon happen to it, meaning it's Meister Shani, let's say a person takes the Meister Shani to Yerushalayim, and he eats it there, making it into dough, etc., it will be exempt from uh, the challah obligation as well. And the reason why is because um, it's a machlokas tonight, but we paskin that uh, challah, excuse me, that Meister Shani is Mamun Gavoa, which means it's the property of on high, literally, meaning it's, so to speak, God's property. And when one eats Meister Shani, he's eating it because he's eating from God's table, so to speak. Um, but it's not his property. So that being the case, um, it's exempt from the obligations of, of Chal, etc., because it's not Ariso Sechem, it's not your kneading bowl, etc. It should be pointed out that if the wheat that was Meister Shani is redeemed and deconsecrated prior to being processed, so then when it's processed, it will have already been private property, no longer Mammon Gavoa. And that being the case, um, when it reaches the Gmarmalacha, the finishing of the processing, one would, in fact, have to take Trumas and Meisras. Um, conversely, if it was processed while it was still Meister Shani, since it's outside of Yushalayim, even the Shitu holds that Mammon Gavoa, excuse me, that, that uh, Meister Shani is not Mammon Gavoa, that's Mammon Hediot. That is to say, even according to the Shita, Rabbi Yehuda, who holds that um, the Meister Shani is private property, not Mammon Gavoa, he holds that's only true in Yerushalayim. But out of Yerushalayim, all the Tanaim, both Rabbi and Rabbi Yehuda, both agree that it's Mammon Gavoa. And that being the case, um, it's always going to be exempt from Trumas and Meisras if we reach Gmar Malacha as the Meister Shani, since it's not um, personal property. Okay. Um, quite similarly, when it comes to Hektish that was deconsecrated, the same idea. If at the time the obligation to tithe kicked in, meaning the finishing of the processing, Gmar Malacha, it was still Hektish, property of the base of Mikdash. So then it's exempt from Trumas and Meisras, even if later on it is deconsecrated, has pidyon, meaning someone purchases the Hektish, whatever it is 
the wheat from the base of Mikdash. Um, since he takes possession of it only after the obligation is kicked in, it forevermore is exempt from the obligations of Trumas and Maestris. But if he then goes and makes it into flour and dough, so then he will have to give challah. Um, again, worth pointing out, if the pidion, the redemption of this hectish grain, happened prior to Gemara Malacha, meaning a person goes and buys a field, let's say, that had belonged to the base of Mikdash, and then he harvests the field, that wheat, although it had been hectish, and is hectish shenifto, was redeemed, still, since it, the moment when the tithing obligation kicks in, at the completion of the processing, Gemara Malacha, it was privately owned, such grain would need to be tithed. Okay? Fine. Um, the next case in the mission is Mosar HaOmer, um, which means the leftovers of the Omer. The case here is we're talking about the, um, as we said, saw um, two Mishnahis ago, that on Arab Pesach they would send out, the base of English would send out emissaries who would find top quality uh, barley growing, they'd mark it off, and they and then comes Motzi Yom Tov Rishon of Pesach, meaning the beginning of the second day of Pesach, they would go out, they would harvest one eifa worth, which is three saw worth. We're talking quite a big volume, something like, say, 36 liters, that kind of amount, you know, um, 10 gallons, something like that, worth of, of wheat, uh, excuse me, of barley. And they would, at the base of Mikdash, they would purchase they would purchase from the landowner those eifa worth of, of uh, barley, um, making it now sanctified with Kedusha's Damim, like a hektish, it's now sanctified property of the base of Mikdash, not with Kedusha's Mizbech. It's not a carbon, it's just wheat, or excuse me, excuse me, just barley, but it is um, still sanctified as hektish. So what they would then do is take the base of Mikdash and process it um, fully, kicking in the obligations of Trumas and because the finishing of the, that little mini harvest is done, and since it was property of the base of Mikdash, at that time, it's exempt from Trumas and Maestros. That's the first part of the Mishnah's point. But what happens next is um, they will sift it 13 times, getting very, very fine barley flour. That barley flour will be made into the the Omer offering and, and brought in the Mizbeach. But the, all the other flour which is left behind that w- from the 13 siftings, that um, can be sold to whoever wants to purchase it. And upon being purchased, it's deconsecrated. Um, that person who buys that flour, which is left over from making the Korban Omer, so that flour is exempt from Trumas and Maestras, again, because at the time of Gemar Malacha, it was privately owned, excuse me, it was owned by the base of Mikdash, and therefore exempt. Um, but if he makes it into dough, so at that point, since it's privately owned, um, it's obligated in Chala. And finally, if you have grain, wheat, barley, oats, belt, rye, that didn't grow even to a third of its total growth. So at that point, it's not considered to be um, subject to the tithing requirements whatsoever. It's not really even food. Um, but the reason why it's exempt is that technically is, is from a, a gazerish. It's a, from a... It's a limud from the Pasuk. It's a drasha. The Pasuk says, Aser to Aseres kol You have to certainly tithe all of the the produce of your seed. But the drasha is that um, it has to be tfua, which has viable seed. And if you would harvest so prematurely your grain that has even grown one-third of its full growth, such seeds would not yield new plants. So it's exempt from tithing. Uh, that being the case, says the Tanakama, 
it's exempt from Trumusomysris, but still, if you make it into dough and choose to eat it, so that would be considered dough, and the Pasuk doesn't specify to the contrary. Um, in fact, um, the, it's a Gezer shava that comes from the two words um, Lechem, that's referred, Lechem's referred both to Chala as well as to Matzah on Pesach, and just as Matzah on Pesach is eligible even if it came from wheat that was not even a third grown, so to Chala kicks in as an obligation, even if you're talking about wheat that hadn't been a third grown, etc. Okay, so that's the sheet of the Tanakama, that if it hadn't grown a third of the grain of its full growth, then it's uh, exempt from Trumas Amaisras, though it's obligated in Chala. And Rabbi Eliezer Omer, Tavua Shalohevia Shlish. Rabbi Eliezer disagrees. He says if you have Truma that didn't grow even to a third of its full growth, Paturim and Achala, it's even exempt from Chala. Um, his reason is based on a different limud. He rejects the the Gezer Shav and said he's a different limud, um, and that limud is connecting to Hekish, which connects Chala to Truma, because the Pasuk says, Reishas Arisoseichem Chala Truma Truma, the first part of your kneading bowl will be Chala, and lifted up as Truma, Ketrumas Gorin Kentrimosa, it should be, um, taken aside and elevated like the truma that one gives at the threshing floor. So we connect just as the truma of the threshing floor doesn't apply where you have produce that hasn't grown to a third. So to the obligation to take challah wouldn't apply, says Rabbi Eliezer, to grain that hadn't grown uh, to a third. However, the Bartonor speaks out, the halacha is not like Rabbi Eliezer, rather the Tanakama, that if you haven't had your grain grow to a third, it is exempt from Trumas and Maestras, but will be obligated in challah.